Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Vlog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. That's probably a question I don't need to ask this week. And of course, I'm talking strictly from a footballing point of view. I don't know how you are in terms of your life or your work or relationships or children or, or any of those things. But I hope it's, uh, you know, I hope it's all going good for you. Going good? I mean, going well. I hope it's going goodlier for you than my English in the opening part of this podcast. But even if from a football point of view, you're beginning to slip back into something else, just go back in time. And I don't mean at 88 miles per hour with Doc Brown in a DeLorean wearing, what do they call those things, those sleeveless jackets? I know that there was a new name for them recently when Tim Sherwood started wearing them that I'd never heard before, Gilet. That's what it was called. But they weren't called that back when Back to the Future was being made. I can't remember. You know, sometimes things just appear in the world that weren't there before, like the word Gilet for that particular type of jacket or, or kiwi fruits. Do you remember? First, there were no kiwi fruits at all, and then there were kiwi fruits everywhere. The world, as I knew it, went from a place in which kiwi fruits did not exist to kiwi fruits being ubiquitous. Now, maybe it was a thing to do with fruit importers in the UK and Ireland. Maybe, as we've expanded our horizons in terms of food, this kind of thing is inevitable. But all of a sudden, you're, you're presented with a new fruit? And I was, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something? That's hard to get your head around. Wait a minute, I thought I knew all the fruits. There's bananas and apples and and strawberries and the other ones that are like strawberries but hairy, raspberries. And now there's, there's these things, which look like, kind of, when you think about it, infected testicles, kind of hairy on the outside and all green on the inside. It's like, what? What happened? Why? You know, but anyway, I'm going back to the, um, back to the future. Body warmers, was that it? That could be what they were called. But we don't have to wear one of those, nor do we have to harness 1.2 gigawatts of electricity or power or anything like that. Just cast your mind back to the 94th minute when Arsenal had a corner and the corner was headed out and I thought, no. And then the guy... Uh, clubbered Nacho Monreal, you remember, Vasilevsky. And my uh, ESPN colleague, uh, James Tyler, pointed out that he looks exactly like the Russian guy from uh, Street Fighter or Street Fighter 2. I don't know the guy's name. I should look it up, but I'm not going to. But he looks like that guy. He clobbers Nacho Monreal. Monreal gets up eventually, and we have a free kick. And Mesut Ozil is standing over that free kick. And then, and then, he curls it in. And then... Danny Welbeck scores, and everyone's happy. Everyone goes, bananas happy. And that's why you should be well, because you can just think about that. It's warming, it's glowing, it, it makes you feel good inside. It's basically a ready break goal. And those of you uh, from afar, perhaps listening in different parts of the world who don't know what ready break is, it's a, it's a cereal, a kind of smoothie oat cereal that you used to have with hot milk on it, and it would keep you warm. In the winter, and the advertising showed people who had had ready break and people who didn't have ready break. And the people who had ready break went out into the cold and wet and, and everything else in the dark mornings, and they had this lovely orange ready break glow outside them, and that was keeping them warm. And that's what Danny Welbeck's goal is it's a ready break goal. And boy, did that goal warm up some commentators this week. Yeah. 
It really did. Okay. If you haven't heard these, I'll put a few of these together. So when Welbeck's goal goes in, obviously commentators and everybody's excited. Uh, and this is how it went down in various places in the world, starting with uh, Sky Sports in England. Will there be further punishment extracted from the free kick? Mesut Ozil, king of the assists. Now is the moment for Arsenal. Welbeck! Okay, so that's uh, English TV, all well and good, all quite exciting and what have you. But what about this one? This one comes from NBC Deportes, which I assume is Spanish language NBC in the USA. I'm not sure. Could be. And if you listen to the Arscast Extra on Monday, you would have heard this in the intro. But man, this is worth another go. El centro del alemán vuelve. <laughs> That's brilliant, right? The way he's trying to hold it together in that third goal. But he goes right to the end. You've got to admire that that dedication to the goal, to the art of commentary. It's a, it's quite amazing. So what about this one then? This is from a different part of the world. This is an Icelandic commentator reacting to the Danny Welbeck goal. I think, I think he might have got a bit excited, that guy. Um, no idea what he's saying. I'm sure that many of our Icelandic listeners or readers will be happy to fill us in on that one. Uh, but I don't think we need to know the words. Uh, we get the emotion. It's all about the, the sensation, the feeling. And he really does get that across. Final one. This is like the final passage of play. And this one uh, probably hasn't been heard before uh, because it wouldn't be available everywhere else. This is from uh, an Irish satellite TV channel, Irish sports channel called Moggerly TV. And this is the build up uh, to the goal and the goal itself. We have just about 20 seconds of injury time remaining. Arsenal have a corner. Mesut going to take it. Could this be the last chance? Here it comes. Oh, it's headed clear. The ball's bouncing into midfield. Monreal's... Oh, ref! Referee! He's after bursting in there. Monreal could be dead. No, he's alive. He's moving. But, oh, my goodness. Vasilevsky's come in on him there like an angry bison. Oh, that's a red card, ref. Jesus. Monreal's holding his jaw. He won't be doing any French kissing tonight, that's for sure. But he won't mind if Arsenal get a goal from this free kick. Messerozo standing over it. Says a little prayer. 
Saying a little one here. Can he raft that magic wand? Can he make something happen? Can he deliver the ball that will get Arsenal the goal that they need to win this game? Yes, he can! Danny Welbeck! You bleeding right, you Danny! He's gone into the crowd! He's celebrating like crazy! They're all gone mental! Danny Welbeck, 10 months out of the game! You couldn't write the script! Danny will buy you chips and a bar sausage for that one! It's Arsenal 2! Leicester 1! It would be fair to say that was a goal that made not just Arsenal fans excited and happy, but obviously people broadcasting around the world. Well, it made everyone happy, apart from one guy, right? This is the one guy. There's always one, isn't there? And you know we, uh, we uh, talk sometimes with the angriest man on Twitter whose rage is irrational. And we get comments on the website on Ars Blog and Ars Blog News, which sometimes are so ridiculous that we might do a dramatic reading of them. But this was just pure anger. He couldn't go back in time and think about Danny Welbeck's goal. We did a story during the week uh, because Gabriel missed the game, obviously, against Leicester. Uh, he picked up a thigh injury and he was given a few days off to go back to Brazil and get some treatment at his old club and, you know, get some warm weather in, and maybe, you know, people have lives. Maybe the club and the manager thought, hey, he could benefit from having a few days back home. He's not going to be playing for a week or two. Let's let him chill out, let him go back and, you know, touch base and all those kind of things. And to me, that seems perfectly reasonable and rational and and sensible. You know, treat players like adults and all that kind of stuff. You remember when Alexis picked up the hamstring injury that he got against Norwich, Arsene Wenger allowed him to go back to Chile to uh, to recuperate there, to get some treatment back in Chile. And also, you know, for him to go back, that might have been the time where he drove around in the Santa outfit giving out presents to all the kids in his village. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, you know, just in general, on a very human level, remembering, of course, that footballers are also people and not just machines that play football, it makes sense to allow them to go home and see family and friends and just, you know, go back where they feel comfortable. It's not going to slow down their, uh, their return in any way, but one guy, one guy got extremely angry about this story. And he left a comment on the website. He said, I want to cry! With three exclamation marks. So that's how we know he really wants to cry. Then he says, I now know we're going to get raped by Barcelona. So that's the first reason why his comment wasn't published. Because you can't use that word when you're talking about football. If you can't think of a better word to use than that when you're talking about football... Then you're a fucking dope, basically, and I don't want you anywhere near my website. He goes on to say, Gabriel, you are a letdown. And letdown is in capitals. Or were you too scared to face the trio of Barcelona? Just stay in Brazil and sign for another club on a short-term loan. Then the coup de grace, he says... Chambers has more balls than you! Four, five, six exclamation marks. This is a very angry guy. Very angry. I mean, Gabriel has an injury, right? There's a picture on the article itself of him on the treatment table having his thigh looked at by the medical staff of his old club. Hasn't just gone, oh, I fancy a few days off at home. I think I'll pretend to have a thigh injury. 
But what is with that guy? Why is he so angry at Gabriel? He would have played probably against Leicester if he hadn't been if he hadn't been injured. He's a letdown. Or was he too scared to face the trio of Barca? People are fucking mad, aren't they? Just when you think you've seen it all in a comment section, somebody comes along with something so brand new and and just out there, you're like, whoa. Not that his comment was published, it won't be published, it won't ever be published. But that guy has got some serious, serious anger issues uh, to work out. If I were Gabriel, though, I would be uh, be keeping an eye out for that guy just in case he's, you know, hanging around at the airport when he comes back from Brazil. Because he'd be there holding a flag. Welcome back, Gabriel. But that would be just a pretend. He wouldn't be welcoming him back at all. Hidden deep within his trench coat, he'd have some sort of saber. And he'd take to Gabriel and hack him to pieces right there in the airport arrivals lounge. And that would be that would be really bad for our season. So, uh, you know, if anyone can uh, have a word with Gabriel there, just tell him to watch out for the crazy-looking guy who's in arrivals. But there's always one crazy-looking guy in arrivals in airports, isn't there? Every single time, there's just one crazy guy. You're waiting for somebody to come through at the airport, and there's one guy wandering around, and you're going, he's mad. He could be, like, up to something. So far in my life, he never has been. It's just been a weird-looking guy. But one of these days, it's going to be the guy who's going to cause mayhem. I worry about stuff a lot, you know. Anyway, shall we get on with the show? And let's welcome our guest this week to talk about the Arsenal win over Leicester, the significance of that, Danny Welbeck, looking ahead to uh, the Barcelona game and much, much more. I'm joined by Jeremy Wilson from The Telegraph. Hi there. Hi. Uh, Sunday, Arsenal against Leicester, 20 minutes to go. It's uh, 1-0 to Leicester, even though they're down to 10 men. As it stood, they have an eight-point gap at the top of the table. And... Maybe there's something significant about the way that this game ended up, not simply because of the points that Arsenal won in the end. Uh, Danny Welbeck's late winner cutting that gap from where it stood at eight to two in reality. Uh, but, it, you know, perhaps there's a psychological aspect to, to that result as well. I think so, yeah. I think that whenever a team scores late, it always wins a game late in that way. The whole stadium goes up and, you know, so the way Danny Welbeck ran ran into the supporters and celebrated and I think it does I think it is a bit different that, to, to win in that way and it, it gives you the, that sort of feeling that things maybe things are meant to be or something like that and I and I think I, I do think that's helpful to have moments like that in the season so uh, although you wouldn't have wanted to script it like that in a way because, because it, obviously the team diced with uh, diced with sort of losing the game and certainly drawing the game I think the way it worked out is probably better in a way than a, than if it had been an easy easy win so and mm. I think it's it's a bit like the it reminded me a little bit of the um, I think in some games sometimes circumstances decide it more than you know we, we in the media a lot we read and you know read very deeply into and make sort of definite you know this this means that you know, Leicester, you know, Arsenal are a lot better than Leicester equipped or whatever. And sometimes in matches, it's just circumstances, stuff happens. And um, I think when when you played Chelsea, you were unlucky with the sendings, sendings off. And and I think with this one, maybe on another day, Leicester wouldn't have gone down to ten men. And it was it was sort of circumstances in the end, just about fell in fell in Arsenal's favour. But it's hard to read too 
interesting area. I didn't think there was a, although obviously the possession and everything by the end was very much in Arsenal's favour. I thought the the game was in the first half was very evenly balanced. It was a really, really absorbing, high quality game. I didn't think there was a lot in it, so um, it's hard to read a sort of definite confusion about about who's the better team sure. going into the final bit. I think it was just one of those ones where circumstances kind of decided the result. A bit like when it went the other way for you against Chelsea, really. Yeah, I mean, of course, there is a demand to, to analyse the shit out of everything these days. So we, yeah. <laughs> we do have to, you know, look at the, the uh, definitive conclusions that we can draw from this particular game. But I think what we can probably say is that um, it was interesting beforehand, Arsene Wenger was talking talking about Leicester being favourites for the title and he mentioned that a few times and you know yeah. managers like to play these these mind games um, it, it's all part of the game we know how it goes and it was quite gentle as that sort of thing goes but you know having been in a position where they could have been eight points clear of Arsenal they're now just two points ahead and the Arsenal players will certainly look at it in a way in a very different way from from those Leicester players who've now got to compartmentalize it and say okay well this is this is just a little blip and we can keep going the way that we've we've been going all season but that in some ways is easier said than done whereas the Arsenal players have come in off that pitch on on Sunday absolutely energized yeah I think it's I think there was a, I, I, it's, it's always hard to know when we always talk about my games and you know you don't know how to do but I, think, I, I did notice sort of in the last the, the press conference before the Bournemouth game then after the Bournemouth game and then in the one before the Leicester game Arsene Wenger sort of mentioned the, the psychological side of it and was keen to describe Leicester as favourites and I think it, I think it, as you say it was a fairly gentle thing but I think it was I think he was deliberately doing that to some extent because, and I, and I do think the dynamic around Leicester changed after the Man City game. I think everybody suddenly were looking at them a little bit differently than they had. You know, all the managers would would have said, "Yeah, they're contenders," you know, and everything to because you you end up looking stupid if you said anything other than that throughout the season we could end up looking silly but I think I'm not sure anyone really believed it until after the Man City game mm. um, certainly people you know, Arsene Wenger wouldn't tell us would never write someone off but probably in, in you suspect that he'd be, there's been a lot more worried about Man City and Tottenham up until that point and I think something did change around Leicester going into that game everybody was they were you know, this is the great. You know, is it the greatest? We were doing a double page of it. You know, what's the greatest fairy tale in sporting history? And you know, everybody was suddenly talking about it as if this this might really happen. And I think that does change. I think that does change things for them a little bit. And um, maybe that that had a little bit of a, and, and then the circumstances of, uh, of of the game. You can't really say they played that badly after, um, given given the way the match panned out. But I think it is a different dynamic for them. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think it will be. I'm still not. I still sort of feel like maybe Tottenham are the, are the bigger threat for, for Arsenal than Leicester, but you know, and, and, mm. and possibly even Manchester City if they get their act together. But um, you know, Leicester have, been, have proved everyone wrong for, for sure. long enough that it's hard to be completely sure about. Do you? I mean, in, there is still a lot of football to play. You know, there's uh, 12 games left, and that's 36 points, and that uh, you know, added on to what these teams have at the moment is is a significant amount of points. Do you see uh, at this point, in terms of the title race, do you see that top four more or less set in stone, or can somebody yeah, can somebody else come yeah, out of that? I think in terms of the title race, definitely. Yeah, I think they're they're quite a bit. 
clearly the best the best teams really. Um, you know, Man, Man United are you know they're just not they're just not as as you know he can't see them going on the run that would would trouble them. Southampton have, have still got 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 themselves up to six, I think. But yeah, there's not. I think those four are the top four and more, and and certainly in terms of the title, you know, it's possible one of them could collapse and. You, one of the top four could change, although I think that's unlikely. But but in terms of the title, that would almost need all four of something happening to all four of them for someone out of the pack to to catch up now. So mm. yeah, I think it, I think it's definitely between them. And really, it's so hard to call. You know, you could make a really good case for for, for any of them. I suppose just on the point, City uh, City are obviously out sort of out, outsiders to some extent now, but I thought that the Guardiola announcement might help them a little bit, but it's not, not been proven very, very right. Uh, why? That, why so did you? Why did you I, think that? I'm curious as to why I, you thought that. I, I thought that. I thought that. I thought that Pellegrini had looked like a lame duck since the beginning of the season when he only got a one-year extension, and I thought, yeah, it seemed pretty obvious that something was afoot there. I thought once. I thought that by actually having clarity and saying this guy is coming in, I thought that would probably be better than just leaving it hanging and everyone thinking that. Because I just sort of think if you're, if you're Raheem Sterling, Ariel Torre, David Silva, Aguero, all these all these players that they've got, surely you you want to be part of that next season and you want to be part of that sort of adventure that's going to happen and however it pans out. However, you know, we don't really know, but over the next couple of years and, and working with the manager that most people think has been the best best coach, certainly training ground coach in football for the last sort of five or ten years, you, you'd, you'd think that that's quite a... I can't see why that wouldn't be a, a, a strong motivation to, mm. the, to that group of players because he's not, you know, I, he's going to be watching them and I think decisions about next season will be made partly on what happens between now and May and I thought that might I thought I almost, although he's not physically there, I almost thought that could have a slight new manager impetus in terms of them wanting to to, to sort of show that they should be part of his plans next season. Impress from afar kind of thing, yeah. But I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I can see some logic in that. But I mean, it's, it just struck he, me I mean, that, yeah. that 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 having made Pellegrini a lame duck, they shot him in his other leg as well. By Maybe, doing this. yeah, and and uh, that results are proving your your theory better than mine at the moment. I just <laughs> sort of thought, you know, if you've got a new boss, an exciting new boss that presumably you really want to work for coming in, who's able to see what you're doing in three months' time, that would kind of affect. You know, and in any work of life, it might affect what you do in those next three months. But maybe, maybe, maybe footballers are not, not like that. I don't know. No, so it it's doesn't not, look it's not like it. they're working. <laughs> it's not like it's not like Guardiola can't see what they're doing. You know, have a decent idea of how they're performing in this period. So yeah. I, I thought that it it might it might help performances, but it, it hasn't. You know, I guess I guess they're all waiting for uh, for the clean slate to come in um, next summer yeah. when he when he does arrive. Yeah. But it could I, be too late for some of them. Yeah, right? for sure. That's what I was, I was, 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 was thinking because he's certainly not. You know, he's he's certainly made changes fairly quickly when he's when he's got into to when he came to Bayern. There were mm. certain players and, and people he wanted to bring in in certain positions and think the sort of especially central midfield and defence. You know, you would you you think that those guys have got a lot. You think that they're, you know, there's quite a few people there playing for their futures. And I, I just wondered if that would help them and. 
But then, you know, you can make, as I said, you can make a case for any of the, the top four. I find it really, I, I sort of change my mind all the time about who I think, think might win it. So yeah. um, I still feel like it's not going to be Leicester. I could, I still feel like it would come from one of the other the other three, um, but I find it hard to to sort of separate them all. I, do, I mean, at the moment, Arsenal and Tottenham do look the most likely to me, but and I sort of feel like Tottenham, they're I think they they're a bit they play at a slightly higher intensity than Arsenal and, and possibly a bit more of an all round team. Mm. But I think Arsenal have got that little bit more quality in certain areas with Ozil and Sanchez. I don't think. Tottenham have got an Ozil and Sanchez, so it's it's hard to separate them as well because you sort of you know, there's there's reasons why Tottenham are very consistent, hard working, hard to break down. They don't drop many points, but possibly just lack, lack a little bit of magic. But and I think Arsenal are slightly different to to them in that respect. So yeah, I mean it's, it's a. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is going to be very interesting, and I, I'm with you. It's it's extremely hard to call. You know, for for all the, the optimism I have because of the position that we're in, there's also the 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 blind terror of having been here before. And, <laughs> and you know, you do look at players like like uh, Mesut Ozil and, and Alexis Sanchez, and in nearly every title-winning side, there's been a player or a couple of players who have stood out and made a bit of a difference, and, and maybe those are the two guys that, that can do it for yeah, Arsenal, you know? and obviously Czech as well. Yeah, sure. I think that the... Um I think I find interesting about I sort of Twitter tweeted this before, but I think I, a lot of there's that sort of, and I think it's become a bit of a lazy sort of analysis of Arsenal. Well, they're you know they'll they'll mess it up when it comes down to it, and they haven't got you know they've never been here before and all the rest of it. Mm. Well, as a club, they haven't. He's obviously not won the league since 2004, but as individuals, you go through that squad and they've won every single thing you want to win in football. Everything. World Cup, European Cup, Champions League, Premier League, Spanish League. I think Flamini's from the Italian League, Bundesliga. You know that, and and they've won trophies at Arsenal. I don't. I, I would, haven't compared it to Manchester City closely enough, but I'm pretty sure that squad individually if you did sort of cherish your medals. I think Arsenal are pretty much the top in have anyone in England. So this sort of <laughs> idea that yeah, as a club they haven't won it for a while, but as players, this group's not really been together for that long. You can't I don't think you can label that at them. They're yeah. not winners and they're not they're, they're not, sort of not big game players or whatever the sort of cliche thing. I don't worry about Arsenal on, on that front. I think you've got people who've won the World Cup, people like Czech you know, in there. I think there's plenty of people there that know how to to win the Premier yeah. League. You know, yeah. win, win a competition like the Premier League. This is yeah. This is certainly not a, a team of of ingenues who who are just coming together yeah, and, as youngsters. Yeah, it's very different to the team like the, the Van Persie, Fabregas, Navi team, which 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 didn't have a lot of trophy winners in it. This is packed full of them if you actually go through the squad. Yeah. Um, Danny Welbeck made a fairly triumphant return from injury having been out for, for 10 months and again that's probably one of the things that people will say oh, well there's a typical Arsenal thing the guy had a fairly good injury record for his whole career came to Arsenal and, and missed 10 months um, but uh, his return not only from a goal scoring point of view it just shows the benefit of having that extra depth on the bench that had Arsenal yeah. been looking at 
for example, as they did earlier in the season in, in games where they needed to win or needed to score goals, what they had on the bench was uh, Alex Uwobi, who I you know, think is a fine prospect, uh, Jeff yeah. Renner Adelaide, again, a, a young player with a lot of potential, but, but clearly not ready for this uh, type of football and at this level and, and this intensity. Uh, but when you can bring off the bench, Theo Walker, obviously, who got the first goal, and then Danny Welbeck, that is, um, you know, that, that, that can make the difference, and it did against Leicester. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a really good good point. I think even even when you saw Joe Campbell and Oxlade Chamberlain as, as the sort of attacking option, I still, you know, Walcott and Welbeck, that part is just probably a slight even upgrade on, on that. You, you'd expect them probably be a bit more likely to change change the game. I think that does make a real difference. I think Theo is sort of in this position where he's not starting at the moment, but I think I think he's he's very important because it's, even if he even if he is often used off off the bench because he can he can obviously change uh, change the game and offer something something completely different and um, yeah having play, I mean having players back will make a huge huge difference in terms mm. of the just when you can take one out and you've all got that strong bench and just sort of change it a little bit and, and it's from, from what we we was a bit cautious with medical updates from Arsenal because quite often two weeks can be more like two months but you know we're 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 led to believe that that Jack Wilshere and Santi Cazula are sort of weeks away now and and will will play a part again this season so and that and you know obviously that would make a huge difference as well just you know the option of you know okay Jack possibly doesn't start Cazula probably would if he was fit but you know it's a it's still a, a very you know, it's a very different option to come off the bench. Someone who players who can sort of create and just sort of make space, and I think yeah, it makes I think it makes a huge difference to have mm. those have those people. I don't think we'd have won that game um, against Leicester probably a month ago when when you couldn't have have a have a Welbeck and Walcott coming off the bench. Yeah. Um... And of course, yeah, you mentioned uh, Wilshire and Cazorla. They're coming back, obviously, uh, and will be a bit of a boost to this squad. Moving sideways, though, um, there were stories during the week about uh, Mesut Ozil and contracts and uh, the fact that he might have, we're not quite sure whether he's uh, rejected the, the offer of a, a new Arsenal contract, has been linked to to Barcelona. I mean, do you have any insight into this? I mean, to me, it seems uh, awfully familiar that Arsenal are about to face Barcelona in the Champions League and all of a sudden stories appear in the press about a player being unsettled and Barcelona yeah. being interested in buying him. Yeah, but I mean, we know that Barcelona do operate a bit like that and obviously um, it's difficult for me to know for sure. I don't, I'm not that embedded in sort of how the, sort of how the relationship between the Spanish clubs and the, the Spanish media, but mm. yeah, they, they obviously, I think they use the media a bit more than they, they sort of brief and, and get stories in papers a bit more possibly than certainly yeah of course it happens here with with agents but I think less with clubs I don't think clubs tend most of the leading clubs in my experience tend to tend to sort of um, help the media sort of <laughs> sort of you know do what they have to do but not, not much more than that really you know mm. I don't think they, they, they really feed, feed those types of stories that I think does happen a bit more with, with Barcelona and Real. So yeah, yeah I mean, with the, the that that contract leaks website, um, and I know that that's 
that the detail in Ozil's contract and all the in the uh, document, the transfer document. That's that's I know that's correct. So if, if he was to go to Barcelona, Real Madrid would have to turn it down. And, and it, yeah, it does it does feel a little bit fishy at times. But I don't I don't sort of have any special knowledge of it. I, I, it's possibly more. It might be to do with that, or it might to do with the timing of the game, or maybe just. Ozil was going to clearly have contract talks this year, and um, yeah, this is this could you know, just could well be part of the player uh, and his yeah, his uh, sure his people posturing, yeah. Yeah, it's a sort of opening gambit. We know they've had some talks. Um, the sort of impression we get from Arsenal is that they're sort of very uh, preliminary, and there's not been a offer made at this point. It's just. Um, yeah, it's I guess talking about figures, but nothing definite. Uh, but it does. I suppose if you were an Arsenal fan, you would be a bit. I would be a little bit worried about it. But I think I think Ozil, everything we know about him, he likes the fact that he like he likes playing. He likes the fact that he's the centre sort of figure in the way that the team play and the sort of faith Tenga has in him. And he, he certainly likes London, and uh, so I think he's he's happy at Arsenal. I suppose. Basically, that they should, they should, you know, obviously within what they can do, they should really push the push the boundaries as far as they possibly, you know, they, they can, and as far as they ever have done for a player, I think for yeah. for Ozil, because uh, I think he's that important, and to to replace him is is basically impossible. I think. Yeah, in, I mean, I've got current I, market. Yeah, look, I think if you could, if, if if football clubs in China can um, attract some of the talent they're attracting, then Arsenal should be able to. Uh, to keep Mesut Ozil in London uh, for, yeah. the, for the foreseeable future. But just looking ahead very quickly to that Barcelona game, how do you think uh, Arsene Wenger, I mean, there's an FA Cup game obviously this weekend, um, and there's, there's clearly going to be some rotation because he'll have that Barcelona game in mind. Um, what what way do you think he's going to approach that? I think he'll play uh, whatever he said. He'll probably say we play, you know, we're Arsenal, we play how we play sort of thing with the did before, but I think he'll they'll, they'll play a bit more like they did in the Bayern game um, and maybe against Manchester City earlier this year. And I think Arsenal have shown in the last year with some, with some of those wins that uh, you know being Man City twice, Man United twice, Bayern. Okay, that maybe got rode their luck against Bayern, but I, I think Arsenal can play like that and can be successful in a way that they couldn't before. I don't think they've got probably got that much choice that they'll be having to play on the counter-attack and defend fairly deeply because yeah. that's just what happens when you play against Barca. It's hard to it's hard to get the ball. I think I think Arsenal got a much better chance than than the previous times when they didn't I don't think they really were equipped to play in that way on the counter attack a bit. But I think with, with Ozil and Sanchez the, the way they quickly can break and with Coquelin in front of the the back four and a figure like Czech, yeah of course it's gonna be difficult and you know it's a Best, one of the best teams we've ever seen they're playing against and the, the odds are, again, uh, are very much against but I, mm. I do think I do think Arsenal have got a chance you know I don't, I don't think it's a complete foregone conclusion and I think if they they have to ride their luck a bit but I do think they can hurt teams on the counter-attack and, and they can absorb pressure a lot better than they, they could um a year, maybe a year and two years ago. I think in the last year they've they've added that that facet to their to their game. Mm. So I think it gives Arsenal a chance. Do you think he might, uh, as he did with Bayern Munich, prefer 
Theo Walcott up front to Olivier Giroud. I mean, uh, that was the way he started yeah. the game, and that's the way um, you know he obviously wanted the team to play to have that that fast outlet. But uh, interestingly, you know, Walcott came off, and two minutes later, Olivier Giroud scored scored the goal, uh, the first goal. So um, Giroud is playing very well. He seems to you know be uh, not scoring a, a lot at the moment, but instrumental in some of the goals that Arsenal are scoring. Yeah, he was. I mean, those sort of cushioned headers. I think he did. He obviously did one at the weekend, and he did one. I think against against Bournemouth, where those sort of assists were, yeah. you know, fan, really skillful assists to do that with your head. Um, sort of the way he put, put, can put the ball in a, in an area for a player um, with with a sort of perfect pace and direction is 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 something you don't see very often. And he's obviously playing well. I I think he might go for Theo though, as you said, for the reasons you said because. Whether they'll see enough of the ball to sort of get it up to to, to and be able to play off him as as, as they like to, um, I'm not I'm not sure against Bath, but I, oh. I expect we'll see both of them for a period of the game. If, if truth be told, and you know, there'll be times in the game when they when both of them play centre forward. But I do I do think that sort of template will be much more for how, how they played against Bayern. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Theo if Theo starts. All right. Okay. Well, look, we'll wait and see, and uh, and obviously keep fingers crossed how that one goes. Jeremy, thanks as always for your time. We'll catch you again soon. Okay, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much indeed to Jeremy. You can find him, of course, on Twitter at JW Telegraph at JW Telegraph, and of course in the Telegraph. As if that part wasn't self-evident. But thank you to him for his time. Uh, We'll catch up with him again later in the season. We'll be back with a, a look ahead to the weekend's FA Cup game right after this. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Bloke who is angry at Gabriel for going back to Brazil. You need to reassess your ire. You are targeting the wrong person. It is the medical staff that are to blame and the manager who hired them. The player can't help being injured. They deserve our support and encouragement at all times. Welcome back to the team, Gabriel. It's good to see you on the pitch again. Oh, you slightly underhit that pass. Sell the fucking cunt! Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit! We will have more from the angriest man on Twitter at some point in the uh, near future, no doubt. Next time something rage-inducing happens, like us not playing quite as well as we might have, or not winning by enough goals, or anything, anything at all. I think that's that's what we're learning here, slowly over time, with this particular character. Uh, before we talk about the FA Cup, just to remind you to uh, check out the new Arsblog shop. That's right, you can get t-shirts and hoodies and phone cases and, and all importantly, the Boilk mug. So if you're sitting there with a hangover and you're having coffee from a Boilk mug, I can guarantee you it alleviates your, your hangover by at least a percent, honestly. So you need to get yourself 
a boiled mug. How do you get one? Just go to the Arsblog shop. Uh, go to arsblog.com. Look at the menu bar across the site. And uh, there's one there that says shop. And that will take you to another link. And then you click that link. And then I think you have to go through some kind of portal. And then you take a number 14 bus. It brings you around the back of this industrial estate. And there is the Arsblog shop. So go check it out. You can get your Arsblog merchandise there. And, of course, every little bit gives us a bit of help here on the side, a bit of support, and that's very much appreciated. So we've got FA Cup action this weekend against Hull City. They are familiar foe. Foes? Foe. Foe or foes? Foes? I don't care. They're familiar opposition in the FA Cup because we played them in the final, of course, in 2014. That was a bit close, but great because we won the Cup. And then we played them on the way to the final in 2015, where we also won the cup. And uh, we made Tim Sherwood very sad. Very sad. That was good. So we're playing them again, third time in a row, or third year in a row in the FA Cup. And uh, there are two Arsenal boys, of course, on loan there. Chuba Akpom and Isaac Hayden are on loan at Hull. They're not allowed to play. They're not in the squad, apparently. Um, There was some precedent in the past, because you might remember that Sanchez Watt... Who? What? He played in the FA Cup for Leeds against Arsenal while he was an Arsenal player. Uh, But that was in 2010 or 2011. And one of those games, man, did we get close to going out against Leeds. I think, if I'm right to remember, there was a penalty by Cesc Fabregas in about the last minute. Maybe it was even in injury time. Someone got fouled, we got a penalty, and uh, Sesk scored. And then there was a replay in Ellen Road, which we won. But Sanchez Watt played in both of those games, but there will be no Isaac Hayden or no uh, Chuba Akpom in the squad. They won't be coming home to show Arsene Wenger what they can do. Uh, the manager has given some team updates. He says Lauren Koscielny is doing well. He had a test this morning, and he looks positive. Glad to hear that. I always like when someone has a good positive look on their face. It transmits itself to the rest of the room. If you're sitting there looking glum, everyone's going to be all glummy with you. But not Koscielny, no. He's sitting there with an air of positivity straight across that face of his. Gabriel, he says. He is running outside. He is out for Saturday, though. So he's running outside. Outside. Down the Copacabana Beach, you see. It's the hottest spot north of Havana, even though it's south of Havana. And the Copacabana that Barry Manilow was singing about must have been a nightclub somewhere in the United States. That's just what I'm guessing. I've never really given it too much thought. I don't give song lyrics a lot of thought in general. It's one of those things. You hear them a thousand times, a hundred thousand, and then you go, hey, wow, I never, I never even knew. So if you're a musician trying to get a message across in your songs and your lyrics... Pretty much, uh, you might as well be pissing in the wind right here. I like the tunes, not so much the lyrics. But hey, to each their own. Uh, other injury news, there isn't any. But he says that he's going to rotate the squad, of course, because there is that small matter of a game against Barcelona taking place on Tuesday. So we play FA Cup on, uh, when is it? Saturday morning? What time is kickoff, I wonder? Is it one of the... Oh, it's 12.45. That means it's probably on the telly, which is good. Is it? Is it? Is it on the telly? Yes, it's on BT Sport. Oh, Michael Owen. No. (sighs) 
Just, I don't know. Hopefully it won't be him. It might not be him. It could be someone else. Ravi Savage. No. Oh, maybe it won't be him. It could be It could be a different person. Steve McMahon. No, God. I know I've said this before, but the sooner they introduce the no commentary at all, just crowd noise option, I, I, I'd pay extra. I would pay extra for that. But anyway, we're going to be on the telly, and he is going to rotate the squad, and he's talking about El Neni. He says, El Neni is fit. Hmm. He's one of the players who could get a run out there. He's mobile. He's a very good player. He's adapting at the moment, and I think he's there now. So that's pretty pretty fast adaptation, right? Isn't it? The manager's looking at, he's adapting at the moment. He's there. All of a sudden, he's there. This is good. We'll certainly see him against Hull. He has a chance to start. So you're looking at other people coming back in. I'd say Joel Campbell will come back in. Another chance to give Danny Welbeck some time. Uh, Theo Walcott might get a start. Kieran Gibbs, Callum Chambers. Callum Chambers did well, didn't he, against uh, against uh, Leicester the other day. Looked quite good at centre half. There was a bit late on in the game. Do you remember where Leicester, they kind of broke between the lines and they played a ball down into our left-back position and Chambers was there covering and he, he didn't want to take a risk to go back to the keeper. He was cut off slightly. So he just put the ball out for a throw and I thought that was quite sensible defending in the circumstances, even though we needed to keep the ball. Um, but uh, I was looking at the thing and uh, in the crowd noise, you can just hear this one guy behind going, Brilliant! Brilliant! And I think he was being very sarcastic about Callum Chambers there. But uh, Callum, I think, is going to play. And uh, a few others, Oxide Chamberlain, get a start, etc., etc. So we'll see the manager uh, rotate. David Ospina in goal, undoubtedly. Talk about him wanting to leave in the summer, which is not a surprise whatsoever. But look, it's going to be uh, a bit of a mix-and-match team for this one. And then, of course, a big, big game on Tuesday against uh, against Barcelona. So we've got to, we've got to take this game uh, tomorrow as it comes and look to win it, of course. Uh, we want to keep that momentum going. I think at this point of the season, every bit of momentum we can build is, is great. And if the players that come in do well and win the game, then it's a positive thing because, you know, we know that they can make a contribution if and when they're needed in the slightly bigger games. So we'll uh, we'll keep fingers crossed for that one. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra. We'll look back at what happens in the FA Cup against Hull and, of course, forward to what might happen in the game against Barcelona on Tuesday. Which of our players will be ridiculously sent off? What kind of wanky penalty will Barcelona take when they inevitably get one? We'll discuss all that on the Arscast Extra on Monday. In the meantime, thank you very much indeed for being here. Thanks for listening. Much appreciated, as always. Always. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye bye.
Our final speaker of the evening now, please give a warm welcome to former Leeds, Man City and Middlesbrough defender, Danny Mills. Danny Mills, Danny Mills, Danny, Danny Mills, Danny Mills, Danny Mills, Danny. Mills. Danny.